Can you handle the truth? Then join me at A Dose of Truth Podcast, where I, Nurse Colette, discuss many unknown realities of what has been going on throughout the COVID pandemic. Tune in today to find out more and what you can do to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of A Dose of Truth podcast by me, your host, Colette Martin. What an exciting adventure this will be, starting a podcast. This is something I never thought I would be doing and something extremely new for me and out of my comfort zone. So I just wanted to give y'all a little backdrop into why I've been catapulted into this adventure. I'll be sharing my personal experiences working as a frontline nurse through the COVID pandemic with other medical professionals, patients, moms, teachers, business owners, and how they've been impacted by COVID-19. I'm an RN of 18 years, primarily working oncology, with the past six years working as a resource RN, where I float throughout the different floors in the hospital. Within the last couple years, I have a multitude of things that have been quite upsetting to me. Things that just didn't make sense. Things that honestly blew my mind were happening in healthcare. Things that went against what I was taught in nursing school and things that went against the Hippocratic Oath I took. I started to sense that something was very wrong. The more time went on, the more disturbed I got. New protocols, new policies, something new every day, something more confusing every day. Questions asked and no real answers given. There was no consistency. I have spoken to multiple managers, the chief of medicine, the chief nursing officer, doctors, and many nurses regarding the things I've seen. I didn't get a lot of answers to my questions with administration or doctors, and it feels as if they just want me to stop asking them. But I do get a whole lot of feedback from the nurses. We all see it and we all feel it. We may not agree on everything, but we all know something isn't right. However, though, I truly believe everybody is doing what they think is best and the best they can do. The problem is, what is best when we aren't allowed to have open conversations? What is best when we have so much division and each group thinks they are doing the best? When a set group of experts that seem to become a god and nobody is allowed to question them, I see red flags. So many red flags that I feel deeply compelled to start speaking out. Hence this new podcast. People are dying and people are becoming disabled. And I'm tired of seeing it and I'm tired of hearing about it. But most of all, I'm tired of nothing getting done about it. My goal with all of this is to not create arguments, cast judgment, or cause division, but rather bring people together and start conversations. Certain topics seem to be taboo these days. Nobody wants to discuss the obvious. Nobody wants to get uncomfortable. Nobody wants to offend anyone. And it seems like nobody wants to care. We need to start sharing what is really going on, regardless of what others will accuse you of or say about you. We need to start speaking truth and all of it. We need to start standing up. We need informed consent. I want people to stand up and speak out. One of the reasons I'm so excited for my guest today is because she's actually the one who gave me the courage to speak out at the state capitol regarding mandating the COVID-19 vaccine for children. She did a testimony on the vaccine reactions and the lack of reporting she was seeing in the hospital. And I was shaking my head yes the whole time in agreement. I was watching her and was blown away at this young lady that she had enough courage and bravery to speak truth. I knew I could do it if I wasn't alone. I knew I had to do it. 
A series of events happened and I knew I could no longer stay silent. And I want all of you to know that you are not alone as well. You have a voice. Don't be afraid to use it. So thank you to all my brand new listeners for joining me today for the very first episode of A Dose of Truth. And I'm so excited to welcome my very first guest, Melissa McKinney. Melissa has been an RN for 10 years, working primarily in ICU and cath lab. She is a wife and a mom of three, married for 11 years. She will be sharing some of her personal experiences as a frontline nurse, experiences you will not be hearing on the news. So, Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm so glad that you are able to get on here and let people speak and have conversations about really the behind the scenes COVID hospital experience. Yes. So, so Melissa, what made you even want to become a nurse in the first place? So when I was younger, my dad and my brother were in a car car wreck and they both passed away. And through that, my mom always spoke to how well and how much comfort she received from the nurses. I just knew I wanted to try to be the person to do everything in my power, you know, to save somebody within reason. But I knew that I could be in this profession and do everything I possibly can Mm -hmm. for um, my patients and stand by them and be that comforter. So that's why I became a nurse. And then up until COVID, it was fairly natural. Mm-hmm. And this has totally just changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great changed everything. It sure has. What a profound moment in your life. That's a pretty strong thing that happened to you. So how old were you when that happened? And how old was your dad? So he was 29 oh my and my brother was seven. He actually would have been 40 April 1st. Wow. It's really crazy. But I was six months old. I was a baby. Okay. So your mother, your mother must be one strong woman. She is. She worked hard to Mm -hmm. keep me. I, I never wanted for anything. So it was, she's an amazing woman. But she actually stopped them from me getting in the car with them. Really? Yeah. They were going just to get batteries. um, And she said they weren't back and had this bad feeling in her stomach. And so got me in the car and drove up on them. Oh, so she arrived at the scene? Yeah. Wow. 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 My father died instantly, but my brother was left on the vent for a little bit. She had to take him off. So, you know, that is an experience I just couldn't, couldn't imagine. Yeah. And, especially as a mother yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure that's shaped a quite a bit of how you view life. And then also your mother as well. Thank you for sharing such a pivotal moment in your life. So what was your first thoughts when COVID all came out? I know everyone kind of had a lot of different thoughts. There was a lot of fear, a whole lot of unknown going on. What was your initial thoughts toward the new COVID virus that everyone was talking about in the very beginning? So at the very beginning, I was in the ER. And I remember vividly remember me and another nurse being in there. And she was like, so what do you think about COVID? Like, do you really think it's going to come? Or do you Mm -hmm. feel like it's going to be Ebola? We had a whole Ebola room set up in our ER, you know, Mm -hmm. I really don't think it's going to come. I said, I don't know. I have this feeling that it's, it's coming everywhere. 
it came. Mm-hmm. And then when it finally showed up, I remember hearing about my friend getting their first COVID patient and they had to form this plexiglass. And at that time I was still like, is it really that bad? Like, I really don't know. You, you know, you hear these things mm-hmm. and you just don't know. Right. Well, then more people started coming in mm-hmm. and when they would come in, we would just immediately this young person 17 years old just put him on a vent and I was like well oh my god what just young people just automatically 20 I mean young you know I'm I would put him on a vent yes yes was that necessary at that time at that time no I remember one guy he was younger but it was an asthma attack Mm -hmm. that came in but triggered the COVID Mm -hmm. So we locked him in the room, but then the doctor came in and he's clearly having an asthma attack, but been marked for COVID. So just rushed everybody in and intubated him, thankfully. But that was early on. So those tests were coming back seven days later. So he was probably on the vent for that long until they realized it was asthma. Isn't that something? So yeah, a lot of the the misdiagnosis is interesting. And then um, I know in the beginning, we thought everybody needed to be on everybody. Yeah, but turns out the vent was actually doing more harm than good. You know, we know that now. I remember, I don't know if you did it, but I did it. Every day we would check the CDC for COVID numbers. And the fear that I felt in that moment, we were so scared. We just grabbed each other and basically telling each other we love each other, like whatever happens, because it was surrounding the whole world. At the end of the first wave into the second wave, I say mid second wave. Actually, when I went to the meeting is when I found a little hope mm-hmm. with the health and welfare meeting. When oh, I got- yes. So it, that was the fear was all I lived up until then. Yeah, that was um, I do remember in the very beginning, I was like, what if I have it and I don't know it and I give it to my mom. And, you know, I, I knew that she had comorbidities that would really give her pr- poor prognosis with COVID. And so I do remember in the beginning, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Yes. Um, and I think everybody felt that true moment. But I do know when I started to finally have COVID patients and really see and really hear what was going on, um, I realized I was like, oh, I'm going to be okay with COVID. You know, it's really the, the older people, the, the, I call it the, the deadly trifecta, high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. Those were the ones that really struck me as like, we need to warn people so they can try to get healthy because those are the people that we really need to watch out for. When was your first moment of, I guess, fear for yourself, or you're saying with you and your husband, when y'all were looking at that, the fear counter, as I like to think. Pretty much, right? That really is what it is. So it was during the Delta wave is when we we started having younger, younger people, 20-year-olds that were lasting on the vent for so long. And it those, like you just said, the trifecta, that didn't matter anymore. We were having the most random set of comorbidities, whether it be none, whether it be all of them, it did not matter. And then his cousin got it with no history, no medical history whatsoever. And he was 36 with four children and Mm -hmm. they kept him for two weeks and he died. And that is when right after that, Mm -hmm. we were scared for us. Yeah, I can imagine 36 is pretty young. So was he overweight at all? He didn't have any other known comorbidities, anything else? 
Not that I know. Of, I mean, a little over overweight. I mean, a little. Yeah. Nothing. He was not obese. See, it's things like that that make me think so much like, I guess, no comorbidities that we could see, right? Nothing diagnosed. But did he have any underlying autoimmune issue that we don't know? Of? What was his vitamin D levels that looked like? Uh, so many people disregard vitamin D is not that important. But to me, I think that was a, a huge huge indicator. Your vitamin D level, that is one of my things I tell everybody to take. Make sure you're taking vitamin D3, D3. It's so important. Um, And go get your levels checked. You know, they need to be greater than 70. That's what's really interesting when you would have these young people. I had a patient as well. He was 34 years old and he did wind up passing away. But I mean, this guy was morbidly obese. He was a type two diabetic, but he did not know it until he was admitted to the hospital with COVID. So, you know, how long was he having diabetes, you know, uncontrolled, you know, and so it's things like that, that I'm like, well, he didn't even know he was a diabetic. And yeah, he was prehypertensive as well, just based off of his size. So it was a lot of things like that. And still very unfortunate. Um, He also actually had a critically low vitamin D level as well. Um, He was one of the rare patients we had a doctor actually draw a vitamin D level because that's another thing that we were not doing. I can tell you that we at the larger hospital that we were deemed one of the COVID hospitals of Louisiana ever, ever. And I can tell you ever did we check a vitamin D level. Yeah, there's probably like I'm talking a handful of patients that we did. And I guess I don't know if it was maybe family request or the doctor just I don't know. It was, you know, because it was random. It wasn't like one specific doctor was checking. It just was random. So did you find that most of your patients, though, they did have comorbidities? At the beginning, yeah, there was a lot of people that were obese, a lot of diabetics. And oddly enough, at the very beginning, it was a lot of women. I just remember women. But that quickly changed. And then it became any race, obese, diabetes, hypertension. Yeah. Until Delta. Delta is when it was like it didn't matter. Did your hospital ever teach, I guess, just basic health? Like, let's stop drinking sugary drinks. Let's really drink a lot of water, get some sunshine, take vitamin D, eat whole foods, anything like that, exercise? Absolutely not. They, um, It is crazy to me how long viruses have been around and how intelligent my doctors are. And we don't teach just basic health and nutrition. Yeah, that was, I think, one of my biggest complaints in the very beginning. I'm like, why are we just not talking about the basics here? Right. Right. Wow. So what was your initial thoughts when the vaccine did roll out? Because I know in the beginning, you know, there was talk of a vaccine. And before the vaccine was actually rolled out, people were very, I would say half and half when I talked to doctors even were hesitant. You know, they had a lot of almost felt like there was some kind of education camp these doctors went to because a lot of them were hesitant. And they were like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it. I don't know. One day it was like they all, oh, absolutely. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Well, I want to be a good role model. I heard one of them say. So what was your thoughts when the vaccine did roll out? So on my end, my doctors were gung-ho from the very beginning. Everybody went and they got it pretty much. Mm -hmm. If they didn't get it, we didn't know about it. It wasn't a large group. Yeah, it wasn't talked about for the doctors. Mm -hmm. And me personally, I just remember I needed something to grasp a hold to. I didn't even know it was a new technology. I was so deep in the COVID world, as I like to call it. I mean, I was getting up, I was going into work, taking care of these patients, knowing 
we weren't doing what we should be doing for like we didn't know what to do researching and sleeping and taking mm-hmm. care of my kids. I had nothing. I had no idea it was a new technology. No. Yeah. So, Here, so you just figured, that. oh, it's a new vaccine. I'm sure it's, it's been studied. Years. Like surely they got it down by now. Mm-hmm. Like let's do it. Let's try it. We got to try something. Right. And it, at that time too, ivermectin. I was not aware of the legitimate studies. I was in, again, the COVID world and in the COVID world, ivermectin was, like you said, tab- taboo. Taboo's so that down. was my only hope. That was the only way to get out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, same thing was the vaccine's going to save us. The vaccine's going to save us. So you would consider yourself pro-vaccine when all this started, right? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So, so you took the vaccine and how did, how did that go for you? Did you have any issues with that at all? Yes. Like I said, I was only in the hospital or sleeping with, or with my kids. So I had not realized that there was even word out there as to the effects, but yes. Okay. I I started throwing up right after my second shot my first shot I got sick like everybody says that you will I mean we send people home you might have fever that kind of thing so it wasn't until like I, I continued to throw up every day and then the amount of joint pain was intense in my hands and I remember walking and feeling like my thigh muscles were just stretching apart. It's just the weirdest thing. I don't know how to explain it. Again, I used to be able to work out and I can't, but I was tested for rheumatoid arthritis. And also um, I have now been told hypothyroidism, chest pain, all kinds of symptoms. The worst was just three months, I would say in the summer after we played badminton, which like I said, I used to work out. Badminton would have been something we did as not even a workout, you know, not right. Yeah. <laughs> and I bent over and my husband was like, are you okay? I said, I don't really know. He said, you are pale. I said, I can't really breathe. My chest is hurting, but then it lightened up. I kept playing. <laughs> I'm stubborn and I want to win. So I kept playing, but it was later on that night. It got worse to a point when I stood up, I was so dizzy. I was so disoriented I, and I, I laid on the floor and just told him, you know, make sure my kids know I love them. And it was scary. He said, get up. We're going to the hospital. I said, what are they going to do? What, what are they going to do? That sounds like a typical nurse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let me sit here, get me an aspirin. I'm going to be fine. But if not, just. Yeah. It was scary. Uh, yeah, it sounds pretty terrifying. Now, are you still having any of those issues today? Yeah, so still throw up almost every day. I did today. And it's crazy. It is something that still affects me every every day. So when you go to the doctors, because I know you got tested for rheumatoid arthritis, do you feel like they they took you seriously? Or were they like, oh, this is all in your head. This has nothing to do with the vaccine. What was what was their thoughts on some of your symptoms that you were having that were very new for you? They did not take me seriously at all, especially about when I said that I throw up 
every day. It's almost like a pregnancy throw up. It's the weirdest thing. You know how when you just get morning sickness and it's like mm-hmm. barely, it's nothing, but it happens all throughout the day, every day. And they're like, well, you haven't lost weight. So, I mean, are you throwing up? <laughs> yes. Yes. I am. If, it, if anyone's around me, you can ask anybody every day. My son has gotten to where he knows when I run off, he goes and gets me a cool towel and puts it on my neck. So yes, they did not take me seriously. I asked them for certain tests and they did it just to oblige me. Well, I, I do feel like a lot of vaccine reactions, they, they just don't know what it is. They, they, people have these weird random symptoms and, you know, if you don't fit the perfect box of a specific diagnosis, this is psychological and they, they check you off as you're crazy. I mean, I've seen that just my whole nursing career. If you don't fit that box, must be psychological. And so that is something I've been noticing a lot with is that just the gaslighting of people's reactions. Oh, that's not the vaccine. That's not the vaccine. And I'm like, people know their body and they know what they were like before the vaccine. And they know they're not the same after the vaccine. Yes. The nurses, all of the nurses got on um, depression medicine, anti-anxiety medicine. They had all this stuff. So that is what they pinned it on. They did pin it on the nurses going through such traumatic things that it could be anything. That's why they're having the irregular menstrual cramp. That's why they're having, they're throwing up multiple people, multiple employees. You know, these little symptoms are all from the stress of COVID. Wow. That's what they're blaming it on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, so just for me personally, I've been seeing an increased amount of heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, a lot of blood clots, um, strange neurological issues. Like you were saying the joint pain, I've heard that so many times. Um, I haven't exactly seen that, but just more of my age group, I I felt like the joint pain is very common, but they would either say it has nothing to do with the vaccine or, Oh, all these numbers. Like everybody's like, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of that going on, but they just kind of blame it on, oh, it must be COVID. It must be COVID. And I'm like, uh, <clears throat> they just got their vaccine two weeks ago, though. <laughs> I Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Should we look into that? So that's, yeah. So I do want to ask, too, um, what did your family think about the vaccine when it first came out? Did your Was your husband on board? Your, you know, your other family, were they um, on board with you with that? What was their thoughts? So my mom was totally against it. Absolutely. 100% from the beginning, totally against it. She never deterred me from getting it. And actually, I don't even, to be honest, I don't remember if I told her I was going to get it. I think I just did it. But looking back now, I'm sorry, Ma. Because, but she was talking to me about, um, you know, Melissa, they're going to put computer chips. I thought she had lost her mind. Oh, yeah. I know. Anybody says a computer chip. I'm like, okay. Let's not go. Just don't go there. So I couldn't even listen to her about her negative reactions. But as I began to wake up and after I got mine, I was so thankful that she didn't get it because then I started researching. Um, My husband as well, he was not on board. But after his cousin died, I remember him in the kitchen and he looked at me and he said, at any point, if I come into the hospital with COVID, will you ever look down on me in that bed and be mad because I didn't get the vaccine whatsoever? And I said, I don't I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know if it works or not. But mm-hmm. he said, well, the fact that you don't know, I'm going to go get it. 
And wow. so he did the next day and had to come to the ER. Wow. Symptoms. So but what symptoms? I'm sorry. Stroke symptoms. He stroke um, symptoms. Okay. He was having trouble actually talking. He couldn't talk. He felt like he was drooping. He was trying to get the dogs out. And he was like, I could not form my words. I couldn't do anything. And his chest was hurting so bad. He tried to go to the clinic. I was working ER that day. I said, I'm literally in the ER. Will you come up here so we can see if you're having a stroke? Right. And thankfully, it, it didn't show anything on the CAT scan. A few hours later, everything resolved. And he's he's been fine other than blood pressure and uh, chest pain. But other than that, he hasn't had any of the other symptoms. So he's still struggling with a little bit of that chest pain every now and then, huh? Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Was he concerned just based off of your vaccine reaction or did you really even have time? Yeah, so he was concerned. Okay. Was he, um, I got it in January of mm-hmm. what not I guess you know when it first came out yeah and yeah January you were right up there <laughs> I mean I was first in line let's do this we have to stop I'm tired of anyways yes I was up there um and he didn't get his until um that next I think August oh so it had been a while so he saw you go through your issues but I guess I mean you have somebody young pass away in your family from COVID I, that's I mean, I understand that that is a big, a big factor of motivating people. Did you though, in the beginning? So since you were first in line, ready to rock and roll, I'm tired. I felt like everybody in the hospital said, let him just tired. I'm tired. I just want this to end. And so it was like, that was, that was it in their eyes. Just like you had said, that was it. That was the, this vaccine was going to save us and we were going to be done with it. So um, did you have that feeling that those people who did not want the vaccine, did you think, did you think down on them in the beginning before you ever even um, had any reaction to it? No, absolutely not. And I remember one of the nurses talking about it and I didn't even realize some nurses didn't want it. That's <laughs> how in the zone I was. Anyway, okay. uh-huh. I remember hearing that and I was like, oh, why not? Why don't you want to get it? And I was curious. And then I remember having the feeling of, oh my God, this is why they did. What did I do? Uh, do? Yeah. I think a lot of people had that feeling of like, what did I do? We have um, one nurse I know of, she took it and she said the next day, joint pain, she could not walk. She's Mm -hmm. like, I was panicking. And for two days, she could not walk. She's just severe pain in her feet. And so she's like, and she actually got, she didn't want it. And she got bullied at work by her manager. So she went ahead and took it. And then that night, so she's like, I will never take it again. You do whatever you have to do to me, but that is it. So I do think a lot of people are, they're not waking up because of, you know, whatever somebody's saying on a podcast or on the news or whatever. Um, They're waking up because they're having personal reactions to this, or they know someone personally who had a really severe, scary reaction or even death after. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting to me that that kind of was something that changed your whole point of view with that. Tell me a little bit more about the vaccine reactions you were seeing 
in the hospital that really compelled you so much to speak out. To go speak at the Capitol, you know, seeing you was a huge thing. Like, oh my gosh, this is another nurse speaking out. It gave me such hope that I wasn't alone because that feeling of being alone, gosh, did I feel so alone. You know, I I knew I had my set group of friends, but I mean, we weren't saying anything. I mean, I was talking a lot at work, asking, I, I asked everybody everything, you know, I'm very vocal about it, but other than that, it was, it's very hard to go into that kind of setting, you know, risking your job. I was worried. I was like, am I going to get fired over this? But, you know, this was something so strong for me that I knew I had to. And, you know, you had a, a big part in that. So what compelled you to get to that point to where you're like, I'm going, I'm going to the Capitol. I'm testifying. So yes, a lot of stuff happened and really Prior to seeing the, you know, adverse reactions, I was seeing that my hospital had taken a turn. They had let these government nurses in that were just horrific. Yeah, I've got some stories about that, too. Yeah. And so then I started asking questions then because I didn't understand where these nurses coming from. Why are they taking my patients? They have not been here. Why? And we can't go in there and do that. But then it became, so they all had COVID and I had been working COVID. So then I got to the clean units. Okay. When I went into the clean units, I started looking around and was like, oh my God, there is every, everybody in here could be an adverse reaction. Everybody in here has the potential. Are, what are we doing about that? What? Yeah. Is any anyone else? And I was getting silent, like crickets. They're like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And so from that, I was like, all right, I have got to write this stuff down because this is going to become something someone needs to know and be able to remember. So I'm going to just go down the list and you can ask, but I'm just going to read what I have. Okay. 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 So there was a spleen rupture that came in with a, she fell. She fell from a standing position and ruptured her spleen, mm-hmm. which people who aren't familiar, the mechanism of action it takes to rupture your spleen is intense. You have to be, it's, it, so. Car accident. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Standing is not going to rupture your spleen, but she also went into DIC. There was um, a patient admitted for hematoma, DVT, stroke. Another one um, had bruises everywhere. Petechia, they blamed it on an abusive relationship and drugs. Also, a three-day post-VTAC, multiple MI. He was never the same. Brain bleed, gastric necrosis, ITP, DVT, dialysis, ARDS. And these are each separate patients as I'm going down. So I'm gonna just going to help for some of those. DVT, that would be a blood clot. And then ITP, idiopathic thrombocytopenia. And so some of y'all may not even know what that is as well. So it's basically a clotting disorder. You know, you don't have the platelets to clot. Right. Most of the employees that got the vaccine, they all had menstrual problems. A woman came in with GI bleeding, then had a arterial blood clot, which isn't crazy. Wow. Multiple um, people with a history of cancer with new um, diagnosis of multiple myeloma. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. A lot of that. Open the eye after the booster. Wegner's disease, which is just an autoimmune disease. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how to help our listeners with that because it's so rare. Someone's mom died two weeks post-vaccine that I work with. 
And she told me that weeks after because she was so afraid of people talking about it. We also had a nurse that had placental abruption and she was vaccinated. We never looked into that. I noticed within three months, a lot of post-vaccine, three months after, women coming in with syncope, bruising, brain fog, uh, five people with a huge PEs. When I'm talking about Colette, these that I saw, they were at least a a foot long back to back to back. I'm talking, they wore the most intense blood clots. I mean, even the doctor was talking about it. It was crazy. And five of them in one weekend came in with that. Um, Hypothyroidism was a big one that I saw. Um, Lupus with a 30 year old, 40 year old with a stroke, no history. Um, We had a healthcare professional with a history of a clotting disorder for up to 12 years. She was fine, then came in with multiple clots everywhere. Multiple clots. Yeah. Um, Older woman had a biopsy and then large hematoma, kidney failure, severe dementia, like within a three-day decline, mental decline. Um, And then tons of people with mental declines. That was something towards the end with the Mm -hmm. autoimmune that I noticed. That was, yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of what I've been noticing too. And that's the other thing. So I would you know, talk to the doctors and they were like, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's like they had blinders on or something because I would talk to them and they're like, oh no, it's not the vaccine at all. But you talk to all the nurses and all these nurses are seeing it, especially on our cardiac floor. I mean, majority of the nurses on the cardiac floor did not want that vaccine, not because they're anti-vax or whatever. It's simply observations that they were making. And a lot of, you know, I I hear the phrase so many times, correlation does not equal causation. And I'm like, yes, but there's a pattern happening here. I think maybe nurses are able to have better pattern recognition skills, possibly. I'm not sure what it is. And that was my whole thing too, is that's one thing for you to not think it was caused by the vaccine, but it it could be a coincidence, but there's so many of these coincidences. Are we ever going to look into them? So that was something that, you know, you were mentioning bears also. And I know a lot of nurses, I've spoken to at least four of my managers and not one of them was aware of what bears even was. My mm-hmm. response was Colette, what is bears? So Melissa, tell us, how did you even know about bears? Cause I know so many nurses don't know about it? No, I was never taught as an ICU ER. We don't do vaccines. So I was never taught about the federal mandate on vaccine adverse reactions. Never had an idea. But when I started seeing all these and when I would ask the doctors, the so my hospital, everyone was for it. I don't know about you, but you have to have, you, you have to have a teamwork in order to get through a day. And on any type of floor in the nursing field. And this was dividing even that. They didn't care if they were drowning. I had one nurse tell me that she did not want anyone working with her that was not vaccinated. Wow. I had a doctor in the cath lab in front of, while he was doing a a heart cath, say he did not feel... that a patient that was not vaccinated deserved treatment in the hospital. Yes, I've heard that. And that's what I'm like, that goes against everything you've ever been taught in in medical school and nursing school. That comment I heard 
I really think they're truly awesome people. And I know they care so much, but it got to this point where they would completely dismiss. I heard one doctor say that they don't think you should have be able to have Medicare if you're unvaccinated. You shouldn't have treatment if you're not vaccinated. They deserve to die if they're not vaccinated. All of these things. And I was like, do you not realize 90% of adult diseases are Mm self-induced? High blood pressure, obesity, type 2 diabetes, you know, so many of these things. The list could go on. The smoker, lung cancer, the alcoholic that comes in, the drug addict that comes in. I've never heard you say anything like that with those people. But now for somebody who's a little hesitant on something extremely new, you're going to say that they're not worth saving. That's and that's what I don't understand, too, on on the whole nother side. When someone is diagnosed with cancer, do you treat them negatively or talk down to them or make them feel guilty about not taking the chemo or do you support their end of life, make them feel comfortable and not judge them? It is their choice. Or even Jehovah witnesses who don't accept blood products. That's right. You don't judge them. That's simply their religion. And we respect that. And we still treat them as a equal human that they are. And so I'm like, well, I don't agree with them not taking the blood product, but I would never disrespect them or think they're not worthy of every other life-saving measure they're willing to partake in. Exactly. And so when I was seeing the amount of just destruction it was doing and then all the people and nothing was done about it, I was like, I'm going to my manager. I went to my manager. I sat down. Luckily, two of them were in there. And I said, so I need to know a the policy on reporting adverse reactions. Mm -hmm. I said, I am coming to you because my husband was in the ER. He was, his discharge diagnosis was adverse reaction to the COVID vaccine. I asked them if they were going to do anything about it and they said no. So what is the process? What is our policy on doing this? And they looked at me and they say, well, who's even talking about having an adverse reaction? And I said, well, all these people in your units Mm -hmm. are possibilities. And they said, no, absolutely not, Melissa. That is why you sit down 15 minutes after you get the vaccine, because that's when you're going to have the adverse reaction. And I said, well, hold on, because hospitals are having to report up to two weeks after. So when is our start date? When is our end date? What is our policy? Give me a policy. (laughs) We're all about policy. You know, yeah, we're all about policy. And we're all about that. give me one. And my manager then was like, Melissa, I'm I'm just gonna tell you, they track COVID, all things COVID. Someone's tracking it, and so I'm sure someone is tracking is tracking the vaccine. I said, well, I want to know who that someone is, and yeah. how do we make sure that happens? That's exactly what I was told. And I got nothing. I got nowhere. And around that time is when I had met up with some of the people that took me to the health and welfare meeting. I remember telling one of the nurses, I'm just going to sit on the news and tell them what's Mm -hmm. going on because people, they have to know. It's not a place. They have to know. And so we went to the meeting. I was so surprised. So at first, Dr. Cantor with the LDH Mm -hmm. came in and spoke and it was a script Mm -hmm. as yes I heard him speak as well and it's it is a literal script they would ask questions and it would be shot down I was I thought I'd gone crazy I was like what is going on this is a physician who is coming in front 
the scent of the Senate and not bringing forth information. But yet when I'm asked something about my patient, I should know everything. And if not, I'm going to be talked down to. So this is not okay. Then after they got through talking, they knew two nurses were coming to talk about their reactions and what they were seeing Four questions for them, like questions for them. They left. Two people tried to get them to come back in and listen, and they refused to come back in. They said they were too busy to listen to the nurses and the people with adverse reactions. So that is why I went and spoke to VAERS and tried to get the word out there that as a hospital, we owe it to our patients to follow the law. That's literally what we signed up to do. Right. And for those who don't know, maybe what VAERS is, because apparently there's plenty of people that don't know in the medical profession, VAERS is a vaccine adverse event reporting system. And we, it's a federal law that healthcare professionals report any serious events to VAERS. I actually had one doctor when I told him about the death rate that's on VAERS, because it's over 20,000 already. And that was months ago. So I don't even know what it is now. But um, he's, he told me to get off Facebook that it was fake news. And I'm like, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? Like, you can go to the CDC. And actually, the CDC even admits that only 1% to 10% of reactions are being reported. And we know we aren't reporting any of it at my facility. Clearly, you aren't. Every nurse I speak to, they're not reporting it at all. And so that was my whole problem is I'm like, you know, my manager said the same thing. Well, I'm sure somebody's looking into it. And I was like, well, if who, though, who is are we doing autopsies on these people? Because I have a guy that was admitted to the hospital with pericarditis 30 days after his shot. He winded up dying two months later. Is anybody going to look into that? Seems pretty relevant. Seems like that's a known side effect. And you know? no, they weren't. So do you know in Louisiana, no COVID death, no anything related to adver- adverse reactions? They were not autopsy. No, that uh, um, I, I believe it was Fauci that said they will not do any autops- autopsies on these um, patients. And that's when I'm like, this is a problem. A problem. This is a big problem we have here. And then it's like, okay, all I kept hearing was safe and effective, safe and effective. And I'm like, how is this safe and effective? My mom was before I even really had a chance to tell her, you know, my opinion on it. And I know my mom has, you know, she's higher risk of a poor prognosis with COVID. So it was a hard decision for me. So I was like, you know what, mom, here's the risk with COVID. And here's the risks with the vaccine. This is your decision to make. So, and that's what I want people to have. I want them to have informed consent to where they can know you have a chance of this, 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 or this with a vaccine. Oh, but you also have a chance of this, 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 and this with COVID. So Mm -hmm. here's your decision. Instead of this blanket statement of safe and effective, you're going to be fine. Nobody ever gets hurt from it. When we know that's just that's just not reality. So that's something for me was a really big deal was the informed consent and really knowing what the side effects are to this vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, why are we, we've been in informed consent forever. You know, when I give blood, guess what? I have to let you know that you have a small chance of getting HIV. You have a small chance of death. Now that's a very, very, very small chance. But guess what? I still have to tell you. I still have to inform you so you can make a proper decision. So 
So this is what is really mind blowing to me when all of a sudden it comes to something new and something foreign we're putting into your body. And anytime you bring forth adequate evidence these days, it doesn't matter. I remember bringing my doctors these forms with the, you know, like you did, the deaths, all these, just the plethora of research that is out there that is showing that this is not okay. And it is turned down. And yet what is shoved in my face or what was shoved in my face was remdesivir. It was not peer reviewed, number one. Mm -hmm. And to be taken into the world and that is what was used is crazy to me. Because when I bring these peer reviewed, high cited, high researched articles Mm -hmm. and they won't even look at it. Because that's not real. It's fake news. Well, and for the, for everyone to know a lot of, you know, cause there's just so much, so many people don't know, but as soon as the vaccine, as soon as we knew that there would be a vaccine, we stopped all treatment research for COVID. There was a whole lot of research for COVID treatment and what drugs we could use. Cause a lot of times with this, we don't have time to start from scratch and find some brand new drug. So they're going to look for other drugs that are already available, already have research and see if maybe those can help. And that is what they were working on. And as soon as the vaccine came out, we no longer cared about treatment. And it, to me, this is just my personal opinion. It almost seems as if you didn't want a treatment because you wanted the vaccine to be your only hope. So if we could make COVID look so bad, then you would, the vaccine is your only hope. So you have to get it. Speaking of remdesivir, that was something before I even had a chance to form an opinion on remdesivir. I was told by two doctors the very first day I worked on the COVID floor, it's not really even doing anything. It's not doing anything. Every physician I've spoken to regarding remdesivir, the best response I got was, well, I'm not impressed with it. That was the best response because all the other ones were, were, it's not doing anything. It's not working. It's not. So why do we keep using something that we know is not working? Because I mm-hmm. thought we stopped using hydroxychloroquine in the very beginning because it wa- wasn't working. Um, well, first off, you were waiting until they were so sick. They were already in the hospital and not doing well. Instead mm-hmm. of treating them very soon, you know, the quicker you can treat someone, the better. But, and that was another thing in the beginning, we have a deadly virus and we're telling people to go home and wait till you can't breathe and then come back to the hospital. And by that point, it's your chance survival. This is a way smaller. Mm -hmm. All of that. The same. Yes. The same thing. And and with the remdesivir and how you spoke to making COVID look so bad, it was gruesome. It was horrible. I can't explain to you the, it felt like this dark cave that we were going to every day. All of these patients were flipped on their bellies with wounds all over them on tons of drips. I know when I went back and worked in the COVID ICU, it was like I had to relearn nursing. We were doing things so intensely that I had never done. I mean, we kept this guy alive on the vent. He had a temp of 108 for like eight days, eight days. And that is frying your brain. And so I had to relearn vent settings. I had, it was gruesome. There were times when- Were the, y'all just using vent settings that were it not was normal? So we had those vent settings, but COVID was so strange in the fact of one day you're fine. The next day, your lungs are completely whited out. At the time, I thought it was COVID. However, I feel now so it was 
remdesivir because all of those patients that did that, that turned on a dime, they got remdesivir. And right after we put them on the vent, then they went on dialysis. And then we kept them alive until everything was rotting inside. And then we had to decide what to do. Right. So we I, we were using so many chest tubes. I've never had so many vented patients on chest tubes, and it's just because of the vent settings. We were having to use so much force and so much pressure because of all the fluid, all the inflammation, all everything that was going on. What I'm trying to get at, it was not a graceful way to go. We were working so hard and helplessly, like with no hope. We knew, like you said, remdesivir wasn't working. What else can we do? What are we going to do? We're doing what we're told to do. And even though you, you see them not getting better, we, at the time, I didn't know it was from the treatment. So I am trying, I am looking at everything I possibly can, looking at the numbers, looking at the history, trying to figure out. And that's what's going on in the hospitals. Like you said, I don't think that the doctors, I don't think anyone is intentionally harming anyone. I think it is willful ignorance because they are doing what they have done. Their superiors are telling them they've always been right before. Why question them now? So just a totally different, totally different. And with the treatment, ivermectin, like you speak of that in my hospital, they write it in your HMP. You are doomed for the rest of your stay. Mm-hmm. That is automatically a black stamp. Like, well, well, you they know. think they think remdesivir is going to save them. Yeah, they think we're crazy. Uh huh. So something you did mention about the higher ups. That was one of my things regarding. Bears. I went to my chief of medicine and really spoke with him about bears and like, why aren't we reporting anything? What are we doing? And I almost, you know, and that your managers don't know. So I was like, well, if our managers don't know, then administration must not be teaching them. But, you know, you made the comment about Louisiana mm-hmm. Department of Health. They are not educating administration hospitals on what to do. They're not providing a policy. So it's like, you know, it's almost like, what do you do? I almost feel like the people at the top are the puppeteers just controlling everybody. And we don't have a choice in the hospital. It's protocol, protocol, protocol. And nobody wants to steer away from protocol because it's liability. So if they happen to steer away from protocol and something happens, oh, that's liability. That's their, that's their, you know, CYA, cover your ass. That is a big thing in medicine. And so a lot of these doctors, they might even disagree. They might think in their head, ivermectin does work or remdesivir doesn't do anything, but we don't have, we can't do it. I can't give it. Even, you know, palm accord inhaler. I know that was a big thing in the beginning. Like, why are we not using budesimide, which was a, it's an inhaler, but we were saying to use it as a nebulizer. We weren't even allowed to do nebulizers in the hospital for these because they were so scared it would create aerosols and COVID would escape the room. I mean, it was just so much of everything that you're like, wait, what What is going on? I remember so many nurses. What is happening? Yes. All the time you go there and it's like something new and you're like, what? But this doesn't make any sense. Yes. And, and everybody, nobody, they were all like, yeah, we, we don't know. We don't know. We're just, this is a new protocol. I don't know. Do it. Put a, put eyeglasses on now. You got to wear eye protection. Oh, make sure your hair is covered. Oh, I don't know. Do this. You, oh, no, you don't have to do this. So, you know, it was just, it was, it was really exhausting. It was <laughs> Sorry. Exhausting. I kind of just went off on a little tangent there. It's well, just, no, but it, what? And I feel like every nurse feels that way that was in it and that has seen because 
And again, I want people to know they are not alone mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it is debilitating. And that's what I feel so bad about these nurses who don't realize yet, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to a lot of them once they realize that we were the ones actually hanging those drugs. We were the ones that were FaceTiming these loved ones saying that we can, because the doctors weren't FaceTiming them. They weren't seeing their face. They were seeing my, well, not my face, but they were seeing my eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was telling them with all the just, you know, passion in my heart that I am trying. I promise I am trying everything Mm -hmm. we can. And it's, it's going to affect a lot of nurses. I remember one night uh, um, I'd been working COVID for a little while at this time. And I just was like, gosh, what's going on? I just don't understand it. And then I remember somebody had sent me something about remdesivir and um, kidney failure. And I was like, this is, you know, silly. And then all of a sudden I didn't even read it. And all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, Oh my my gosh, what are we doing? And I wrote this little poem almost one night, just I sobbed. I'm talking sobbed for, I don't even know how long. And I remember everyone else was sleeping in the house and I just couldn't stop crying because I, so many people have died. And so like, it was just so gut-wrenching and knowing like, what are we doing? Am am I the only one who feels this way? Does everyone else see it? What's going on? And I remember sending a text to another friend because I've worked years of oncology. And that was part of the reason I got out of oncology is because there's so much death and, you know, we'll talk chemos on a whole nother level and another day, but you get to a point, you're like, wait a minute, did the medication actually cause this? And yeah. I had already went through this with on working as an oncology nurse. And so I was like, is this happening again? It was really, it was something. So the next day I went to work and I got out a few nurses and I was like, oh, we need to talk. Yeah. And all of them were like, yeah, we yeah. see it too. Yep. 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 And I'm like, what, what are we doing then? Why do we keep doing yes. it? Yes. It's protocol protocol and it's standard of care. And I asked, I went to, you know, my chief of medicine, I said, I want more than standard of care. Cause I thought, well, is this standard of care, standard of care, this is protocol, protocol was coming from LDH. And I'm sure somebody above LDH because it all is a big trickle down. And I'm like, can we be better than standard of care? Like, can we, this isn't working. Let's try this. Okay. This doesn't work. Let's try this. Like, why do we keep doing something that we know is not working? Isn't that the definition of insanity? Yeah. Right. Right. I also got an article. It was a video on remdesivir. I dropped to my knees and immediately was like, oh, I had a panic attack. I do not call my my mother for help. But that's how bad it was. I <laughs> called my mama and I said, oh, my God, I have helped bring people to their deaths. Like I have done it will, knowing that I was doing everything possible to keep these people alive. And so the very next day I went and I talked to one of the nurses and I said, have you ever thought that it, this is remdesivir? Can you think, have we researched it? What do you think about it? And she looked at me and she said, we are just nurses. We are only mm-hmm. one person. We yep. cannot change the world. What we can do is come in here and I can be the best that I can be on this day. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's not enough for me. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how I am, why I'm doing this as well. Cause it's not enough for me. Like a lot of, a lot of people are like, well, it's all we got. 
they know it doesn't work yeah. that's all we got. And I'm like, but that's simply not true. It's right. simply not true. And I would love for y'all to listen to my next episode because, you know, we'll be speaking a little bit about that. But but yeah, that I think is the most frustrating part because that, there's so many options out there. And do you know they when they so they recently, well, three, four months, they cut remdesivir. So we don't use it anymore in our hospital. And oh, I, that's good because we. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I asked the simple question because I had asked three weeks earlier, why are we still using it? And then all of a sudden it stopped and I was like, hold on, why'd we stop it? What made y'all stop it now? Like what's going on? And they said, well, it, I tried to get them to stop it a long time ago, but you know, it's a money issue. Mm-hmm. All those patients for a money issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that's, yeah, remdesivir is about three to 4,000. And, you know, the other drug, oh, ivermectin is uh, nothing. And a few, I, a few dollars, you know, um, but it doesn't work. It's horse medication. Horse medication. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. I can... won the Nobel Prize and the amount of things that it does to your system and can be used for right humans for 60 years it's been used in humans for 60 years just because it also is a horse medicine does not mean it is not used as a proper medication in humans we do that all the time with vets and hospitals we use the same antibiotics a lot of the times we use Mm -hmm. the same medicine it is not just because we give it to a certain thing yeah i know i know Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, Melissa, this has been such a fun conversation. So any closing thoughts, anything else you just want to say to the audience? I think, you know, there is so much, but for sure, I want people to know that from what I have researched, what I've been through on this journey, I have realized that we are facing something bigger than we know. So. You, I used to trust everybody, but especially with people with medical ailments, research it, be involved in your patient's care. And please, before you get your kids vaccinated, really look at the VAERS website, you know, look at the Pfizer documents, they research it, please do your own research because people are controlling things and manipulating good people to do bad things. Right. Exactly. The manipulation. That's what I think is so frustrating is, is that part. I mean, my whole, my whole thing while I'm doing all of this, anybody can still choose. I'm not saying there's maybe not a place for the vaccine, which that is definitely a debate, but it's just a simple informed consent. Medical freedom. Yes. They're forcing people to do things they don't want to do. So yeah. Their loved ones be affected. It's a problem. It's not okay. And why the ones that have been taking care of them and been fighting for us are the only ones that are mandated will always blow my mind. Yes. Yes. I know. I know. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so thankful for you for being strong enough and courageous. And also, I want to let my listeners know if there's anybody who is a medical professional and is seeing something in their hospital that is alarming, or, you know, maybe you don't work in a hospital setting. 
contact me. If you want to be on a dose of truth, I would love to have you. And I loved having you, Melissa. Thank you so much. And again, y'all, we are nurses. We are not professional speakers. Um, we're just doing the best we can here, ha- having a good time, trying to trying to just really inform people of what's going on. And of course, this is just our observations. This is what we are seeing. We are not doctors. We do not give advice as a little disclaimer. So anyways, all right, well, guys, I will see y'all soon. Join me for my next episode and um, y'all stay well. Thank you for joining me, Nurse Colette, as I break down the walls of healthcare and show you what is happening on the inside. Subscribe today to ensure that you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show and want to support us, please share it as this helps us get important content out to even more listeners. See you soon and stay well.